This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations and your host on Ringler Radio. Well, today we're going to talk about something right in the news. And uh, it's no secret that automobile giant Toyota has been plagued by serious safety issues in cars ranging from acceleration problems to steering problems, leaving many of their customers not only in danger, but uh, certainly a lot of them with injuries. And in part two of our two-part series on mediation, we're going to look at the potential lawsuits and future settlements involving these Toyota cases, and really how mediation might be utilized to avoid the courthouse. Well, joining me today is my colleague, Carmela Limangeli, who's from our New York City office. Carmela has 17 years of experience in structured settlements and specializes in high-exposure cases. Uh, Mela, welcome to Ringer Radio. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you for having me on. And our special guest again today, I'm going to welcome him back, is attorney Mark Bunum. Mark's a certified mediator, and he practices uh, as an attorney as well. And he's participated in numerous mediations, uh, too, too numerous to mention, Mark. You've, uh, you've done it all, and uh, you've become uh, almost a, a seminar guru on the subject of mediation. So we want to welcome you back to Ringler Radio, Mark, and we're looking forward to uh, part two. Thank you, Larry, and it's an honor to be part of uh, Ringler Radio. It's a great company. Well, we, uh, we're happy you're here. Mark, let's talk about Toyota. Uh, I know you've been a legal expert on television discussing the complexities of the case. Uh, you know, estimates are 38 deaths, 800 personal injuries. There's a lot of, lot of activity here. There's some class actions, almost some allegations of consumer fraud. Do you see this as a lawsuit tsunami about to hit the shore? Well, it is. Uh, it's a lawsuit tsunami that has hit the shore and will continue to grow, uh, certainly in the immediate future. Right now, we have different types of lawsuits. You have the personal injury lawsuits. Those are the direct actions against Toyota, both individual and class actions, for bodily injury and wrongful death. The second level of lawsuits we have are lawsuits by state attorney generals or private class actions for breach of warranty and fraud in in states that have consumer protection statutes. Mm -hmm. The third level of lawsuits, uh, which is coming to the fore very soon, are subrogation cases by auto insurers. Those uh, are auto insurers such as Geico, State Farm, Allstate, uh, that uh, level of auto insurers who've paid out uh, on claims uh, involving bodily injury or property damage, not the severe bodily injury, and now looking back on it, uh, believe that uh, these cases involve Toyotas and involved wrongful accelerations, and maybe they can go back to Toyota and collect on the amount of money that they paid out, because they're saying that it was the Toyota defect that caused the problem and not their driver or the other driver. Mm-hmm. The fourth... Uh, level of lawsuit is the loss of use lawsuits. People bringing uh, actions against Toyota for loss of use of the car 
during the time that the government said, don't use your Toyota anymore, take it into the shop. And while it sat in the shop, uh, when Toyota was doing the repair and they may have had to rent other cars to compensate to get them to work during that time frame. Another level of lawsuits uh, that's going on uh, are claims over, or possible claims over by Toyota against the gas pedal manufacturers. And finally, uh, I've heard that there are 89 class actions have, that have been started in this country by owners suing Toyota for loss of value of owned Toyotas, saying that they purchased Toyotas, that the Toyotas had an expected resale value of X, and because of these defects, they've lost a significant amount in the resale value, and they can't sell the Toyotas. Sounds like a lot of activity for a long time to come. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, what do you foresee in terms of these expected uh, Toyota losses? Well, uh, addressing the personal injury lawsuit, uh, it has been reported that between 30 and 40 class actions uh, involving approximately 15 to 20 uh, and 15 to 20 separate plaintiffs' lawsuits have been started in various states and federal courts over the past few weeks against Toyota arising out of uh, these sudden acceleration problems. These lawsuits cover uh, the statistics that we're aware of, 18 to 20 deaths, 350 to 400 persons injured uh, aside from the deaths, and 800 separate accidents since November 2009. Uh, This proliferation of lawsuits uh, to be expected are directed actions by injured drivers or their estates uh, in cases of wrongful death against Toyota or personal injury against Toyota, severe personal injury. Uh, their claims for negligence and breach of contract and uh, what we would call product liability claims, uh, pr- uh, assuming the product is proven to be defective, uh, then Toyota would have what's called strict liability. Uh, these are the cases that get the most publicity and generate the largest dollar sum awards. Interestingly, uh, on the uh, loss of value cases, the New York Post reported a few weeks ago that the expected loss was $3 billion to Toyota. So there's a lot of dollars out there that are going to be paid out by Toyota and their insurers. The numbers are not small. You know, recently, Mark, weren't they trying to uh, find the proper venue or forum for these class action uh, Yes, there was a motion pending in San Diego, California to uh, consolidate all the lawsuits uh, into one action, if you will, uh, before one forum, and they'll assign one or two judges that will hear all the Toyota cases in San Diego. Is that yet to be decided? Uh, To the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been decided, but it probably will be, because that's the uh, first couple of cases were brought in San Diego, and that seems to be the... uh, seat of much of the litigation. Well, let me ask you about mediation in these cases. What role do you see uh, mediation playing in these? And and how would, you, how would you see structured settlements being a part of that role as the mediations occur? Well, uh, these cases, certainly the injury cases, uh, are going to get mediated. Uh, I would think that Toyota would want to run and uh, have mediation uh, as soon as possible. Um, and I would think that some of the other cases, for example, the uh, actions by the state attorney generals may not get mediated. The subrogation cases will be mediated or arbitrated probably on an intra-insurance company basis, uh, which means the 
insurance co- one insurance company going after another, they arbitrate those cases. Uh, but the personal injury cases, the wrongful death cases, the big class actions that we'll be reading about will probably get mediated for a whole host of reasons that we're going to get into. And structured settlements should play a large role in them. Uh, as you know, Larry, because you have injured people with uh, claims and you have uh, estates with claims, and those are traditionally the types of cases that are perfect for structured settlements. Mark, let me ask you, when do you feel it's appropriate on these cases to enter the, uh, the mediation process? When do you feel Toyota will enter into them? Well, most cases, uh, aside from Toyota, uh, mediation works best after there's been uh, some party discovery and in a case where there's expert reports after the expert positions are known and reports are known. And that's out there on the table and it helps the mediation process. On the other hand, some cases are so clear that the defendant will pay, such as Toyota, that they have no business interest in allowing discovery to go forward. The danger is with Toyota that there are more bad events that will rise to the surface as time goes on. The more discovery takes place, uh, plaintiffs are going to go into the history of the various vehicles involved. Toyota's knowledge of the problem at earlier points in time will come out. Internal memos and possible warnings by engineers could be exposed. Discovery will allow the plaintiff's experts to rummage through Toyota's files and inevitably link information to the public. And as time goes by, this information gradually leaks out, and uh, it becomes a a major, major public issue. And it's appropriate, uh, Mello, that you asked me that question today, because in today, Thursday, April 8th, uh, the day we're speaking, the Wall Street Journal, uh, page B3, there's a, uh, a story about Toyota email urged firm in January to come clean. And it talks about uh, an ex-employee of Toyota uh, who was Toyota's group vice president for environmental and public affairs. And he told another executive in Japan, quote, I hate to break this to you, but we have a tendency for mechanical failure and accelerator pedals on a certain manufacturer on certain models. We are not protecting our customers by keeping this quiet. The time to hide on this one is over. He then said, we need to come clean today. This was right before he wrote this email to his colleague at Toyota, right before Toyota's president came to the United States to testify before Congress. That's interesting. Is he still alive? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, these are the type of things uh, that are going to come out, and, and the more of them that will come out, uh, it will hurt Toyota's business in a, on a going forward basis. And it's, it's a classic case where mediation should take place earlier so that one of the things that mediation does and the beauty of it is it imposes a cloak of confidentiality on the process. And that could encompass this and, and seal what's going on in the process and prevent these types of disclosures from coming forward. So if everybody said to the court, we're running to mediation judge, Uh, We want you to seal the record. We don't want any public statements. A court would likely do that because the court is so pro-mediation, especially in California. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm sure that Toyota is aware of uh, all the potential for mischief here, too. You know, people claiming that they've had the acceleration problems uh, when, when they merely were you know, stepping on the gas too, too strong. So I think I'm going to have to f- ferret all that out and figure out uh, 
who's who's real and who isn't. I think that that's going to be part of this whole uh, this whole story. Hey, you know, I know it's subjective, Mark, but what mistakes do you feel Toyota, the company, has made? And uh, what about Mister Toyota himself? What, what's what's happened in the in the recent past? I know you just mentioned that memo that certainly wasn't uh, didn't seem like it was uh, heated, but what mistakes have been made? Well, obviously, they did not uh, nip the problem in the bud at an earlier point in time. Uh, this clearly could have been prevented. Uh, yet, year after year, model of car after model of car, it, it seems that they were infected with the same virus. Uh, and now uh, they have significant risks as a result of not uh, paying attention or uh, going after the problem the way they should have uh, through uh, a risk management program earlier on. Um, they're exposed to punitive damages in these lawsuits if they go forward. They're exposed to governmental sanctions. The Department of Transportation is certainly going to sanction them. Uh, if the cases don't settle, there's discovery that's going to take place in these lawsuits, um, and documents will reveal, or could potentially reveal, prior knowledge going back many, many years, or, or certainly a significant period of time. Um, and as we saw, a Former employees are going to come back and testify, and attorneys, plaintiff's attorneys and plaintiff's uh, investigators will find out who those former employees are. They're going to hunt them down. They're going to subpoena them. Um, they're going to say, what did you know back then, and why did you go ahead anyway? And uh, former, you know, Larry, former employees, are the I call them the 500-pound gorilla. In the yeah, sure. uh, these are the types of cases where they can come back to uh, haunt you. Uh, the revelation is also going to uh, expose them to lawsuits by state's attorney general, as I mentioned before, for fraud. Uh, once these former employees testify and these emails come out, uh, there's going to really bolster the state attorney generals in, on the consumer fraud section uh, of the statutes that's going to uh, expose Toyota to significant fines and penalties, and certainly on the federal Department of Transportation level, uh, they're going to have exposure. Uh, what about when Mr. Toyota went to testify before Congress? How did you feel that went? Well, it, it went as probably as good as it could go. Uh, he didn't deny the problem, and he uh, admitted that uh, there was a problem, and he made a commitment to correct it. The question is how quickly he can correct it and uh, how much he can do uh to uh, satisfy or pacify the uh, existing plaintiffs. The sooner they settle these cases uh, through mediation, hopefully uh, that's the way to go because that results in uh, quick settlements, uh, the better off they are. And I know they're offering incentives to their new customers. I saw that they were offering two years free service and free loans to buy new Toyotas. So, But they really have to in somehow give people, consumers, the confidence that the product that's out there on the market uh, is free of any defect. And that's simply going to take time. Well, you know, it's funny, testament to the pocketbook uh, issues of, of every American family, the minute they came forward with those purchase incentives, despite all this bad publicity, their sales went up dramatically in the last couple of months. So it's a very interesting uh, human nature story as well. Right. I mean, the, the key thing for them is to uh, as much as possible, uh, keep these lawsuits out of the tabloids and uh, out of uh, off 
the TV stations and not have CNN report on Toyota defects every day. There you go. Well, we're going to take a quick break right now, and let's come back in a minute with attorney Mark Bunham and uh, my co-host, Mello Limoncelli, and we'll continue this fascinating discussion about the Toyota litigation. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. Over $23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Well, welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you joined us. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, and I'm joined today by my Ringler colleague, Mello Limoncelli from New York City. And our special guest, Attorney Mark Bunham. Mark, welcome back. And uh, I'd like to ask you, if the mediator is neutral and is working to find the most equitable uh, result for the case, how do you feel or how do you find are the clients pleased with the, with the outcomes of the case? Well, clients are, the ideal uh, mediation result is that the, each side is a little uh, less happy than they thought they would be at the end of the process. On the other hand, they're both happy that it's over. And um, invariably, uh, immediately within a week or so of the end of the mediation, the resolution, people are a little, well, I thought I could do more. I thought I could do better. The plaintiff will say the defendant said, well, I'm paying a little too much. And then two or three weeks later, uh, I get emails or letters, and you wouldn't believe how many I get. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so glad it's over. I'm so glad I don't have to spend time on this process anymore. I'm so glad I don't have to go to court and testify. I'm so glad I'm not going to be in a deposition. Uh, thank you for making this happen. So at the end of the day, people are very satisfied that it's over. It's a big uh, burden that they carry with them. Uh, people get very emotionally tied into litigation and to the process itself, and it becomes cumbersome. It weighs them down. Uh, so they're very glad to be, it's It's a relief to them that it's over. 
You, you know, what's interesting is uh, from time to time, as, as, for example, if I sit in the defense room, they think sometimes a mediator is leaning towards the plaintiff. And I've been in the plaintiff room where they think the mediator is leaning towards the defendant. So I guess that's probably that's a good mediator. That's a good mediator. He's probably doing doing the right thing. But you're always going to have those folks. Uh, and Mela, I'm sure you've seen that too, where everybody's yapping about the fact that they think the mediator's uh, you know in favor of the other side. Oh, absolutely. They'll think, well, we're getting beat up in here. I wonder what he's doing when he goes back in there. You know, obviously he's not offering them bonbons. He's doing the same thing. But right. Uh, the room that you're sitting in always thinks that you're in the other room uh, being nicer to them. <laughs> exactly. Well, look, in, in a sense, the, media, the mediator has to convince the defendant of the strengths of the plaintiff's case and uh, why they have to pay more. The mediator's job is to get the case settled. And the structured settlement broker's job is to get the case settled. So it's so important, uh, as I've said before and many times, that the mediator get the structured settlement broker involved in the process. The defendant, uh, if the structured settlement broker is advocating uh, a larger structure, uh, that helps the plaintiff. And the defendant who brought the structured settlement broker into the process uh, will trust the structured settlement broker because, in a sense, the broker is their agent. So it helps the process to get them as involved uh, as much as possible. The uh, mediator's job with the defendant, as I said, is to get them to pay more. And the mediator's job with the plaintiff is to show them the vulnerabilities of their case. And it's harder to do with an injury case because plaintiffs uh, are sitting there and they are injured and uh, they're going to get money from if the process goes forward. Uh, but it's going to take them a long time to get money, and there are a lot of pitfalls. Uh, you never know what a jury's going to do, especially in these economic times uh, where a jury may not be f as free to give away money uh, as they were three or four years ago. So the plaintiff has to be convinced to take less, uh, and so they're mad at the mediator for trying to show them that their case isn't as airtight as they thought, uh, and to introduce the scene of reality into the process, which is there's a jury out there if you don't settle. The jury's going to have some sympathy for the defendant in terms of the fact that this is real dollars going out. And in these economic times, uh, they don't want to see anyone walk away with uh, hitting the lotto jackpot by way of a litigation. No, no question about that. Well, you know, Mel and I and all brokers understand that when we go to mediation, preparation is the key. Uh, we're always working to be prepared, for example, by analyzing life care plans to be able to show the plaintiff that perhaps you don't need quite as much money as they thought to fund it and, th and things like that, which I'm sure are helpful to you. And I often have mediators uh, come back when the, when the plaintiff has a certain um, demand that's maybe a little bit too high to, to to have me put something together to show them what a what a lesser number might be able to do for them. So those kinds of uh, uh, helpful elements of a mediation that the structure broker can bring to the table, I'm sure helps you. But how do you uh, prepare for mediation yourself? What, what are the things that you have to do to be ready to go when the bell rings? Okay. Uh, preparation, and I uh, lecture about this, it's all about preparation. Mediation, a good mediation... Uh, is successful in the preparation stage. 
the mediation day is maybe 20% of the process. 80% is the preparation. Uh, before the negotiation, the mediator has to understand, uh, in an insurance case, and let's talk about that, the precise type and scope of coverage. Is there a deductible? Is there an SIR? Uh, because they're different. A self-insured retention, the defendant themselves is going to pay, the party is going to pay the money mm-hmm. up until a certain level where the deductible the insurer pays the money and then recoups the deductible from the insured. Is there a reservation of rights letter issued? Uh, that may affect coverage and it may affect um, what takes place at the mediation because in a, if there's a, re- a legitimate reservation of rights, the defendant themselves, the party has some exposure and uh, the plaintiff has to be aware of that, uh, that if money's going to simply come out of the insurance company's pocket, it's one thing. But if money has to be paid by the party themselves, by the defendant, it's another thing, and they may be harder to negotiate with. And then you have to consider the defendant's own financial circumstances. Um, Is this a right-to-consent policy? Does the party have to give their consent to the settlement? And some policies, the insurance policies, they do, uh, in which case the plaintiff has to make a stronger appeal to the parties themselves. Is there a hammer clause? Um, in some insurance policies, the insurance company can say, we'll reach a settlement with the, uh, with the plaintiff, but they tell their own insured, if you don't consent to the settlement, uh, we'll simply walk away from you. We have the right to do that. There's a hammer clause. Are there several insurers for different defendants? It makes a mediation much more complicated because then you have fighting between the defendants and the insurance companies as to allocation. Uh, these are all things that mediators have to be prepared with. Um, the mediator has to insist that the right person from the insurance company attend the negotiation. Are they the decision maker? Will they have full authority based on their value of the case? Uh, it's crucial. Uh, the mediator uh, must stress this beforehand, mm-hmm. um, that the right person be there. Uh the mediator must ensure that the plaintiffs themselves will participate actively in the negotiation. Uh, is the is the plaintiff going to speak, and are they going to tell their story? That's that's very very important. Well, Mark, do you do you ever come across a situation where the the the, the plaintiff attorney says, "I I don't want to bring my client, or I don't want to have my client there"? That, that, I would think that would be counterproductive. No. And do, do you let that happen? No. Good. No, we don't let that happen. Um, the other thing that the plaintiffs have to understand are what kind of institutional pressures and internal guidelines the insurance company may have that may affect their case. Uh, that's something that I find out as the mediator, um, and because it's, it's crucial input to me. Uh, how is the insurance company evaluating the case? Uh, are they looking at the policy? Are there rights and obligations? Uh, are they looking at re- self-insured retention, deductible? Uh, do they have reserves set up? Uh, will this case demand that they go over their reserves? Did they improperly reserve the case? Is there excess coverage? Um, you may have a primary of $2 million and an excess of $10 million. Was the excess put on notice? Uh, is the excess going to be there? That Those are crucial, especially in injury cases, where you're going to exceed the primary limits. You have to get the excess involved. 
And I'm sure Larry, you, uh, Ringler is a structured settlement broker, understands this very well. I've seen them work with excess brokers, and uh, they have to become part of the structured settlement process. Well, you know, what we've seen, and uh, I'm sure Mel has seen it too, is oftentimes the primary and the excess comes to a mediation. And you'll have a plaintiff attorney saying, unless the full primary is put on the table, unless the excess is engaged right away, we're not going to negotiate this case. And where the primary wants to start a process, uh, are, are you able to, to take those plaintiff attorneys and, and convince them that the process needs to take, you know, go forward and not to put these ultimatums on? Yes. Ultimatums don't work in mediation. The purpose of mediation is to reach resolution by consensus, uh, not with a hammer or with a pistol. And uh, ultimatums don't work. And uh, the plaintiff, I work with the plaintiffs before when those I see those kinds of situations uh, coming about. Now, one of the what I what I do before is I get position papers. Uh, I get two different position papers uh, from each side. One is let's say ten to fifteen pages, and that is an ex- what I call an exchange position paper. It sets forth the issues they want the other side to hear about as the strengths of their case, uh, case law, statutes, anything like that. Then I get a five-page confidential letter from each side, just to me, no one else sees it, telling me why the case hasn't settled to date, what the writer believes it will take to settle, what the problems are with his own client, the problems with the other side, problems with the insurance company from the defendant. Uh, problems with the other side's counsel that I should be aware of. Um, I had a case recently where one party wrote me a letter and said, you should know that the other side's lawyer is under indictment for something that has nothing to do with this case, but it's going to affect the way he acts in this mediation. Mm -hmm. It was very important information. Well, there's uh, no question that the information you get, the more information you can uh, gather together right. to make to make everybody understand where you're going is going to be helpful to you. Right. Mel- Mello, what is some of the things that you've been uh, thinking about here? Well, one of the things I see, obviously, Mark, you have a, uh, a very strong hand beforehand uh, with everyone and have people positioned properly. Uh, I've seen at mediations where there's, you know, multiple co-defendants, and we never even get to the mediation process with the plaintiff because the defendant can't decide on a percentage of liability. So is that something that you handled beforehand? Well, I try to handle it beforehand. Uh, one of the things I do through this preparation process is make a determination, is that going to be an issue? And if it is going to be an issue, what I try to do, and I try to do this in all mediations, is meet with the parties before, the key parties. But in the particular example you gave, Mela, what I would do is have meetings with the defendants before mediation day. And if I can't get them to an agreement before we walk in uh, to the plaintiff and have the mediation day, at least I will get them to table the discussion, to work together and table the discussion until after we have a settlement with the plaintiff. And then we can revisit that discussion on percentage of allocation. Well, how long does this uh, process typically take? And the other question I had for you is, if the liability is admitted and you're only mediating damages, is it a shorter process or an easier process? How long it takes is, um, there's no easy answer to it, but I would say generally six weeks to four months. Okay. That, that's a, a general range, but there are exceptions. 
uh, easier cases, yes, a damage case is easier. Uh, a damage case can be mediated in uh, two months uh, if there's no liability issue. Um, depending upon the number of defendants, the number of policies, the, the limits, just because you have three defendants, you could have three defendants and three policies. You can have three defendants on a, on a serious case with towers of layers of coverage and uh, 20 policies. So it just, it, it's hard to, to really assign a, a raw number to the amount of time, to how much time it would take. Interesting. Well, to bring this full circle, Mark, how, how do you see your role uh, being involved in the Toyota litigation? Are, are you envisioning uh, in being involved personally with a lot of the mediations in those cases? Well, we've certainly been out there and uh, we've been in the press on this issue. And hopefully we will be involved. Uh, and we're there to be of service to Toyota. Uh, our company uh, does specialize in injury cases and complex injury cases. We do a lot of work, as you know, Larry, with structured settlement brokers, and uh, we do work with Ringler, and they're the best. So uh, we're we're very uh, eager to help uh, and bring these cases to a resolution. Well, I'm sure that Mella and I would be more than happy to help you in that in that uh, endeavor, and uh, either a scotch e- either a scotch tape or Christmas trees, right, Mella? We, we'll <laughs> we'll play any role. Mark, that you want us to play, but uh, seriously, I, I want us. I want to thank you, Mark, for uh, giving us the information, the insights. It's they've been tremendously fascinating and encouraging for anyone involved in mediation, especially those involved in the structured settlement side of the mediation process. Mark, where can our listeners get more information about you and your and your mediation uh, company? Well, we're at www.caseclosure.com on the web. And my email address is Bunim, B-U-N as Nancy, I-M as in Mr, at caseclosure.com. And Mella, how about yourself? Well, I'm on the Ringler website, um, along with all our other colleagues. And my email address is climongelli, L-I-M-O-N-G-E-L-L-I, at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's great. And, of course, all Ringler Associates can be reached at ringlerassociates.com. And uh, you can listen to all of the Ringler radio shows either by accessing ringlerassociates.com or from the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. I want to encourage you to do that. We have uh, a tremendous number of shows on the uh, the website on all different subject uh, matter areas. And uh, if there's something there and you're not interested in it, you will be soon. So again, I want to thank Mark for participating, uh, Mella as well. Thanks for being a co-host today. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate it. Now to our audience, I want to thank you for listening. Go out and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its sixth year on Legal Talk Network with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. <laughs>